1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Book Network podcast. I'm Deidre Tyler, host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking with Professor Patricia Turner, author of Trash Talk, Anti-Obama Lore, and Race in the 21st Century. How are you doing today, Dr. Parker?
1: I'm fine. Thank you.
2: I wonder if you could begin the interview by saying a few words about yourself and how you became interested in this project.
1: I am a folklorist. I focus on the discourse and the materials of everyday life uh, with a real emphasis on African-American materials. Those are what's of most interest to me personally because of my family and my own background. And I moved sort of back and forth between uh, things that... My, my last book was on African-American quilters, which was obviously a very positive, uh, kind of an upbeat experience for the most part. Uh, But Trash Talk takes me back to my research on rumors, legends, and conspiracy theories that evoke themes of race, something I've been looking at since the late 1980s, really. So, you know, in general, that's uh, uh, what I'm about as an academic.
2: Now, you indicate that your book is not about the Obamas. So what is really the message here?
1: The book is about understanding how what is said about the Obamas and who says it and who makes money off of it tells us a great thing, a, a great deal about the way race is enacted in the first couple of decades of the 21st century.
2: Now, why did you where did you find most of the anti-Obama stories?
1: So I started in 2004 when the um, Obamas really burst on the scene when he gave the speech nominating John Kerry for the presidency uh, at the Democratic National Convention. In those days, and I I end with the inauguration of Joe Biden, so we're talking about a 16-year period here, and in the early days most of this material was communicated you know via email with attachments uh um what we call xerox lore people would reproduce as we move forward in time, and one of the things I talk about in the book is the increased visibility and access that people had to social media. So, as we move, as I move through those years, I'm looking more and more at Twitter and Reddit and all kinds of discussion boards online that were um, great resources for me. Also, the comments after a news story about the Obama could be a really rich resource for finding out what kinds of rumors, legends, and conspiracy theories were getting the most traction.
2: Now, what is the difference about the lies told about the Obamas versus the lies told about the white Democratic politicians?
1: So that's a really good question because all of the, All politicians deal with this in in some way or another. There's a thoroughness to the materials about the Obamas that I can't find with uh, white politicians. Every aspect of Barack Obama's identity, all of the components that you and I would say make up a person's identity, have been attacked by those who want to denigrate the Obamas. We start with uh, the, one of the really first ones to uh, surface was that he wasn't the Christian. He said he was. He was, in fact, a Muslim. And so people attacked him on the basis of his religion. You know, that's a, a part of our identity. That was quickly followed by one's claiming that he wasn't patriotic, in some cases, not even um willing to sing the national anthem, say the Pledge of Allegiance, wear a flag pin. So, you know, your identity in terms of your loyalty to your country, that was often balanced with accusations that he was a socialist. Our identity is our sexual orientation. And there's a whole segment of texts that I look at that are called the Bathhouse Barry rumors claiming that he is actually a closeted gay man who frequented the bathhouses in Chicago so much that he had the nickname of of Bathhouse Barry. So every aspect of his identity has been denigrated with these items.
2: Now, how do those lies fit into the broader theme of how Black Americans have always been talked about?
1: So frequently they, they... um, harken back to the anti-black stereotypes that are so um, familiar, unfortunately, to to many of us. One of the the characteristics of 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 Obama that we see highlighted in these materials is the fact that his father, his father, not him, uh, was, was born in Africa. So there, some of many of the memes, particularly in his first administration, would depict him in the, the clothing of a savage, the um, bones through his nose, that kind of iconography. Uh, Michelle Obama, I have a chapter on Michelle Obama in the book and virtually every stereotype that black women have had associated with them is associated with Michelle Obama. The notion that, um, that she was a a welfare queen living off of the largesse of the country when she was in the white house, that she demanded, um, um, more staff members than any First Lady had had before. For the record, she had the exact same number of staff members as Laura Bush had uh, before her. Um, the nickname that uh, many of the purveyors of this material came up for her was "Moochel." and this was so common on the Internet, it made its way into the um, Urban Dictionary. So this isn't just the rattlings of a few people in dark recesses. These materials were really quite common, and if you know where to look for them, you can find them.
2: Now, tell us about the New Orleans Katrina hurricane and the connection with Obama. You talk about that in your book.
1: Well, I think that one of the things that we see is... With both, if 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 uh, audience members can remember, because I find that my my eighteen year old college students can't, but uh, audience members who can remember Hurricane Katrina, um, publicly there was a real outpouring of support for the victims of the hurricane and the, the survivors. There were lots of efforts to get resources to those populations. Celebrities took it on. There were very many ways you could donate money. So superficially, it certainly looked like the whole of the nation was behind recovery for the, the, the folks affected by the hurricane. Again, if you dug, though, into the comments after the news stories and looked at some of the emails that were circulated. They were often accompanied with um, photographs and narratives suggesting that the black victims did not deserve the kind of relief and the kind of empathy and sympathy that was forthcoming, that they were taking advantage of the money that was coming to them to buy fancy clothing, um, luxury cars, that they were showing up to get free food, but not showing up when recruiters came to provide them opportunities to get new jobs. So, What you saw on the news, and as I say, the the superficiality of it all made it sound like, oh, it's the 21st century and Americans are going to be very much behind African-Americans who are in a, a, a bad place because of a natural disaster. Similarly with the Obamas, publicly, there was all of this affection and enthusiasm for what they represented for uh, you know the the new century, but again, you just dig a little bit deeper, and you could find enormous amount of backlash uh, directed towards them. Snapple
2: iced tea. You talked about that in your book. Tell us more.
1: So, again, um, this is this is one that my college age students struggle with a little bit because, uh, you know, I'm talking about when Snapple first came on the scene in the 1990s. You know, my students take for granted that there's always been a Snapple iced tea, but it was a new product in the 1990s and it was the kind of product where one day there were no designer iced teas. You know, you wanted a drink with your lunch or you wanted to buy something to take home and it was pretty much all exclusively colas and some kind of of soda. This is before fancy juices and and fancy iced teas. So when Snapple comes along, it's immediately very successful. It was a little bit more expensive than the colas in those days, but it really took off very quickly. And two a uh, contemporary legend surfaced about it. In the Black community, it was said that Snapple's owners were members of the white supremacist organization, usually the Ku Klux Klan, and that they were using the profits from the sale of Snapple to further white supremacist. Efforts and evidence of this could be found on the bottle where there was a a K that was circled, which really means kosher, um, and that the ship was a slave ship on the label. It wasn't uh, that. In the white community, beliefs surfaced claiming that Snapple was um, owned by um, militant. Uh, militant pro-choice people who were going to use the profits from it to further their attacks against uh, abortion providers and, and women who get abortions. So Snapple just had all of this lore that it had to grapple with when it first came out. And so did Barack Obama. Barack Obama burst on the scene really quickly. It felt like one day you didn't Know who Barack Obama was, and a week and a half later, people are saying this could be a president of the United States. The imagination doesn't like that suddenness. I I, I think uh, Snapple was also critiqued for having a a weird name. Why would you name an iced tea Snapple? Um, Barack Obama's name, you know, for for most of us, he's the first Barack we knew. He's the first Obama we knew, and then of course. That middle name Hussein was something that the far right loved to um, loved to remind the, the the public of. So there's actually a, a fair amount of overlap between uh, Snapple Ice tea and Barack Obama.
2: Chapter three, Born to Run. Tell us the white perception and the black perception.
1: So um, the. The black perception, initially, when the when the um, notion that Barack Obama might be competitive for the presidency came along, you know, most most politicians have to convince people who don't like them or don't know them uh, to vote for them. Barack Obama had to do that, but he also had to convince Black voters who liked and loved him that he should run because they had a profound fear that he might be assassinated or his daughters uh, might be kidnapped, that that ill will could come to his family. Um, there was a, a real particularly for people who remembered the assassinations of the 1960s there was a really keen uh, anxiety around his well-being as a viable black presidential uh, candidate um, uh, there you know Barack Obama wouldn't have been elected twice if there had not been significant, swaths of the white population willing to vote for him, campaign for him, give him money. So there's certainly that population. But then there are the reactionary people who did not like the idea of a man named Barack Hussein Obama in the White House, who found him too re- too remote, and we begin to get the, the 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 notion that he wasn't even an American, and in fact wasn't a citizen. I find that when I'm talking to people about my research, and I, you know, they hear the title, they go, "Oh, you must talk about the birthers," and that is the most well known, but uh, certainly not the only of the rumors and legends about the Obamas.
2: Now, Mrs. Obama is in the polls now for the most admired woman. Can you tell us how the stereotype plus the most admired woman, how does that fit in?
1: So she, um, she is the most admired woman um, very frequently in the polls. And she has a very large following. She's about to launch a new book. Um, there was a lot of attention to the hanging of her and Barack's portraits in, in the White House a couple of uh, weeks ago in uh, in September of 2022. And so to tell you a little bit about how I work, there are these news stories and they're all very feel-good about the hanging of the portraits because, as you, you may recall, President Trump refused to hang the portraits on his watch, which is customary regardless of what political party you're in. You have the former president and his family back to the White House when when their portraits are hung in the White House. So there would be stories in the news about Mrs. Obama and the portraits, both Obamas and the portraits, and everything was, was feel good. Um, you know, the Bidens are enthusiastic about all of this. And then you go to Twitter, you read the comments, and you get um, that... Um, expressions of people saying that, hoping that the the, the the Bidens are looking out for the China and make sure making sure Michelle's not stealing, you know, more of it and taking more of it with her from the White House. Many of the references in the comments don't use the name Michelle for her. They call her Mike or Big Mike. Those are reflections of the belief that she is transgender and was born Michael Robinson and during college had a transgender uh, uh, had the operations to become transgender and that explains why she and um, Barry have been able to sustain their marriage that he's gay she's really a man and their daughters are adopted so you have this this prominence of a very positive, image of her, but you just peel back a couple of layers, and you will see all of this vitriolic commentary on every aspect of her identity and in very racialized terms.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
2: Pandemic levels. Obama, Ebola, HIV and AIDS, COVID-19. What are some of the conspiracy theories surrounding this?
1: So the, um, the, the one, the, one of the first challenges that, that Barack Obama faced, of course, was uh, the revelation that his pastor, uh, Jeremiah Wright, had um, espoused conspiracy theories himself. From the pulpit of his church, namely ones that um, AIDS was created in a laboratory in order to either perform experiments on black people or um, as a genocidal kind of weapon. And, and Obama had to eventually distance himself from the pastor who had performed his wedding ceremony and had baptized his daughters and who had really been a mentor to him, so HIV/AIDS was sort of the first pandemic that um, Obama had to deal with in kind of an unconventional way. Uh, Ebola is really interesting because, uh, particularly against the backdrop, of course, of, 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 of COVID nineteen now, um, but in the in 2014, there was a scare that in West Africa, the regions around Sierra. Leone and, and Guinea there was an outbreak of Ebola that was decimating the local communities there really quickly and had the potential to spread if they did not get supplies medical professionals you know things we all take for granted now PPE all of all, all of that and Obama was encouraged by public health officials to send American uh, troops and American money. He sent $6 billion eventually to Africa to help mitigate the Ebola for that those local populations that were suffering so cruelly from it, but also to prevent the spread of it throughout, throughout the world. Um, this is one of those time periods when, um, then reality TV show host Donald Trump was relentlessly tweeting against him, against Ebola. There were all kinds of visual plays. Ebola and Obama have the same number of letters. They both begin and end with vowels. So people did all kinds of creative things. I've got some visuals in the book. Um, but if, if, you're, if your listeners just Google Obama, Ebola, a lot of the stuff will come up. Of all of the riffing that goes on. By the end of the uh, uh, t- 2014, when we're getting into election season, we don't know, no one knows for sure if Ebola will be contained to Africa or it will spread. It's an issue in the polls. Narratives begin to circulate claiming that the Reason Obama sent American soldiers was not to help the local population, that he secretly wanted them to contract Ebola, come back to the United States, go back to their home communities, spread Ebola throughout the United States, killing off the American population, so that he could then replace the American population with Muslims, which had been his secret agenda all along. This is a version of what in conspiracy theory jargon is called replacement theory. The notion that um, um, that that blacks are determined and uh, sympathetic whites to replace as many white Americans as possible. And I think it had a real effect on the 2014 midterm elections because we really, Obama's not running for office, but Ebola, political scientists say, was a huge issue and partially responsible for Congress shifting more to the right, which enabled um, Mitch McConnell to go through that whole exercise he did of refusing to consider Merrick Garland for the Supreme Court, so I would argue that there were profound consequences of the Ebola beliefs.
2: Forty thousand dollar gown. Tell us about that conspiracy theory. Um, the
1: the um, notion that so so in the begin in the in the beginning when as I said I, I did this work over a period of about sixteen years, and in the early years. Even, you know, the more reprehensible of the of the rumor mongers left the daughters alone. Let, you know, they, they, they 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 didn't they didn't pick on the girls. But as the girls got older, into Obama's second administration, and certainly now, um, that begins to crack a little bit, and people begin to uh, people begin to attack uh, the girls. Both of them have been accused of having gotten into college as same with their parents, um, not because you know they they uh, deserved admission, but because of affirmative action or um, through some kind of back as though you know young young women who who had the best possible uh, primary and high school education, a two-parent household that was, you know, the president's wife, that they wouldn't have the academic chops to be admitted to the colleges they, they went to. Uh, towards the end of the Obama's uh, second administration, they went to the their first state dinner, and they wore evening gowns. And again, the much of the press was quite positive. They looked beautiful. Um, And uh, the um, uh, Twitter began to erupt with notions that um, taxpayer dollars went for uh, gowns that cost $40,000 for, for teenage girls that are going to outgrow them anyway or not wear them again, um, and uh, completely, um, completely, inaccurate, uh, completely inaccurate assessment of, of uh, the, 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 those gowns and how that came about.
2: Now, after the Obamas moved from the White House into their new home, what was the reaction
1: So the Obamas chose to stay in the District of Columbia because their younger daughter still had one year of high school left, and she wanted to graduate with her friends. This is a really familiar pattern with job change, right? A lot of people make decisions about um, when they change jobs based on when their children will finish, you know, one of these uh, um, academic thresholds. So they Bought a house um, in uh, in in the district, a very lovely, lovely home that that was conducive to the kind of security they would need and entertaining that that, that a former president would want to do, and uh, that um, was the one of the it's one of the building blocks of the rumors that t- Obama spent. His second administration, first and second administration, building what's called a deep state, placing in administrative offices and supporting political candidates who would pursue his globalist agenda. Even after he left office, making it impossible for any president who followed him to be able to 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 to, to, to be able to do anything uh, very different. And the 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 presence of the Obama family in this big house in the district, this was considered the headquarters of the deep state, and allowed Obama to exert control over these appointees. Um, then President Trump got into the habit of taking a lot of credit for any legislative success he had, as you know, President Trump was wont to do to take credit for things. When things didn't go his way, when he couldn't get a bill passed or he couldn't affect a change he wanted, he would blame it on Obama and the deep state as um, um, responsible for for his failure. Probably the most prominent example of this would be he campaigned saying that he would eliminate the Affordable Care Act, which of course is also known as Obamacare, and he wasn't able to succeed at that, and he was ruthless in his accusations that it was Obama-placed operative's who had prevented his changes from, from uh, materializing.
2: In the age of social media, what do you see as a solution to conspiracy theories?
1: Oh, that's a really hard question. Um, and, you know, I think, um, you know, there, there are there are several things. We certainly need more education. I think there needs to be more attention to everything, you know, helping young people, helping students understand how to do their own research on um, not just beliefs, but on products and everything. I think that should be a part of school curriculums. We have some great um, fact-checking uh, resources uh, one of the oldest of them is Snopes, and I even dedicate my book to Snopes uh, partially because they were so useful to me. But they they have to do their research on a very thin financial margin. Um, they're they're back. the You know, it's, it's the equivalent of a garage band kind kind of operation for, for most of their history. And I think there needs to be significant investment in. Um Entities that are available for people to do fact checking through i'm not quite sure what that looks like i don 't think something from the federal government would be trusted you know i don't think a new agency on this, which actually other countries do have france um, um, in particular and at times the America has in its past had had rumor bureaus but But I think that that there needs to be much more conscientiousness about helping people understand that they need to do their homework when someone shares with them something that that seems uh, um, implausible or inaccurate.
2: What is the message you would like the reader to leave with after they finish reading your book?
1: Um, I would like the reader to be aware of this body of material and on the lookout for it surfacing in the future, not just about the Obamas. One of the arguments that I make in the book is that, and it goes back to your initial question when you asked me to reflect on the fact that I claim that the book's not about the the Obamas. All of the Almost all of the texts about the Obamas are also ones that other um, African-Americans still have to contend with. The kinds of things that were said about Michelle Obama not deserving to get into Princeton that she got in on affirmative action many black men and women who go to prestigious college. And as I said earlier, it, this is circulated about both of the daughters as well. I want people to know that, that these biases and prejudices and stereotypes um, still have to be grappled with by, um, by contemporary African-Americans. And so individuals who might think, well, I voted for Obama. I gave him money. I campaigned for him. Um, I'm not, I'm not a, um, someone who perpetuates this kind of material. You need to know what, your, what the Obamas and what your African-American um, colleagues, friends, and even family members have to deal with.
2: Well, I've taken up enough of your time. Can you tell us the next project you're going to be working on?
1: It will be very different. <laughs> it's going to be very different. I'm originally from the eastern end of Long Island in New York, where there are two neighboring Black communities, one a very agrarian um Um, um, community of of farm workers that my parents were a part of. But right next door, an affluent Black community in a place called Sag Harbor. Uh, The book Sag Harbor um, won a a Pulitzer Prize a couple of of years ago now. And I'm going to talk about those two Black communities because I bridge them both personally in my next book.
2: Well, we'll be looking forward to that. And again, we have been listening to Dr. Patricia Turner, author of Trash Talk, Anti-Obama Lore and the Race in the 21st Century. Thank you for being on the show.
1: Thank you for having me.